Praise the Lord. As I said, I'm excited about what God's going to share today prior to our time at the table. Um, as Les is distributing these uh, teaching outlines, it's good to have Jay with us again today, Sydney. Uh, you just bright rays of sunshine, both of you. Sunshine, 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 <laughs> Malwedge, <laughs> sunshine. It's good to have you here. You know, um, Yesterday, during our time of prayer here in the morning, I, I kept sensing the oil of joy for gladness, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And that, that last phrase just kept hanging with me. And um, the spirit of heaviness and that garment of praise, and it just wouldn't go away. And so... I studied about a number of things regarding that. Of course, I knew it was from this passage. But as I began to um, break into it, I recognized that really what the Spirit was directing me to was, first of all, a specific thing we need to do today regarding the garment of praise, which is going to be what we do at communion. But the primary thing was the theme of this passage in Isaiah 61, comforting those that mourn. And I, I want to remind you that we're going to be talking about that term, necham, again, and the comforting. And I went back over what I've shared thus far over the past few weeks as the Lord has guided us to this. This was not my, I was not, I was intending uh, later in the week to just minister about communion, not just. I mean, it's always a powerful thing. But I, rec I recognize that I hadn't touched this passage at all in any of the teachings that we've done thus far. And I feel like the Lord has, um, has preserved this for us for this moment. You remember in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was um, coming out of Capernaum, which is the city of Necham, he came and he took the scroll in his hometown of Nazareth and they handed it to him and it was the scroll of Isaiah 61. And so he took the scroll and he read these first three verses that, that, we, um, that we, well actually he read the first part of this and then he sat down. He didn't read the entirety of Isaiah 61, he just read the first part. And as I look at Isaiah 61, I see that it's broken into four parts. What Jesus read was just the beginning, and the rest was something that he patterned for us and what he expects us to do. And so uh, I think that's very interesting. So let's, let's look at this. Isaiah 61, beginning at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. This first section is what Jesus focused on, and it really speaks about becoming freed, being free from the shackles and the chains and the, the, the dungeons of sin. And that's what Jesus came to do. 
You know, and he said to his disciples that because I go to my Father, now you're going to be doing the greater works. You're going to be extending on behalf of what I've given you, how I've freed you, how I've presented you to my Father. Now the greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to my Father. Jesus did not come to do everything for us. He provided everything that we need, but he came to give us an example. He came to give us the way, the truth, and the life, but he then gives us the opportunity to go with him, carrying his cross to the uttermost parts of the earth, and to see the exploits of the Spirit be done. And so Jesus has made a way for us. He set us free. But the parts that, that remain for us to do are when we are to actually become partners with the Heavenly Father through the blood of Jesus, and only through the blood of Jesus. Not through some man's nonsense, not through some other philosophy, not through some other form of insight or other, other truth. There's one truth, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way to the Father. No man goes to the Father except through him. And so when we get there then, we are, we are coming to that place at the right hand where Jesus is seated. And we come to that place of faith, that place at the right hand, which is, which is the Amman, the place of the right hand, the place in the Old Testament, that's the word for belief and faith. And so we come to that place, and we are there with our Lord, and we meet with our Father, and, and it, is, it is that wonderful time then where as intercessors we hear him. We receive his burden. We receive his empowerment. And that's, that's the focal point of where we gain our strength and our direction. And I think it's very interesting that here we come to verse 2, where it says that, when we're freed, then we begin to walk on this pathway of seeing the acceptable year of the Lord. Acceptable is raison, and that is where we ultimately get the word razor from. It's the word that is translated as princes and as those who would do exploits in any community or in any kingdom. And so when we come to that assignment, being freed, we say, Father, <laughs> what are you doing in your plan, the acceptable year of Yahweh? I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be an also-ran. I want to invest myself to be the best for you that I can be. I want to be in your training. I want to be as your sons and daughters. I want to be that one that will say, here am I, send me. Give me this mountain. And so I'm proclaiming that acceptable year of the Lord. You know, we can go out and shout it from the mountaintops, this is the acceptable year of the Lord, but the main thing we need to proclaim to is ourselves. <laughs> we need to make that proclamation that I'm going to do this. I'm going to be that one. I, God, you've appointed me for this. There's a work to be done in your plan, and I proclaim that I want to be that razor's edge uh, in the kingdom. And and that's the way this begins. After you've been freed, then you need to be. You need to become a partner. 
And, and so I love that, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then look at this. The day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. This is interesting because there's, our, there's that, fir, that word, necham, that word, and we'll, we'll re, revisit the, the meaning of it, but we've been teaching on it for weeks, so I don't want to overdo it. But you have these two things, vengeance and comfort. The vengeance of our God, of Elohim, that heart of God, and, and that comforting of those that mourn. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? What's well, very beautiful what it means. The first point is the vengeance of our God. You know, this, this term, Nacham, comes from the Aramaic. There really is no base Hebrew word for vengeance. Do you realize that? Because vengeance doesn't belong to the people, it belongs to God. It's reiterated in two chapters later in Isaiah 63 when the Lord says, vengeance is mine, and he goes through that process of how he's looking for someone to partner with him in intercession, and, and, and he can't find one, so he's going to do it on his own. Vengeance is, is, is God's, but it's, it's the vengeance of Elohim, the vengeance of his heart. It means this. It's very similar to jealousy, the jealousy of the Lord. From my heart, God says, I have things that I intended to do from the foundation of the world. And things have gone haywire in a lot of ways, not because of me, but because the enemy and people who've engaged with the enemy and wickedness have really seen things fall into an iniquitous pathway. And, and in me, I look, as God would say, at wanting to restore that, to wanting to restore things to the way they should be. And that, that vengeance, that recompense, that paying whatever's necessary to pay to bring things back into proper alignment is always burning within the heart of God because that's what Elohim is. It's the heart of God. And you couple that then with to comfort all that mourn. Here is Nicham. Now, we've talked about this, as I said. That's the term that means repent. And, and it can be confusing to people initially because on the one hand you say, God says, I will not repent. But on the other hand, it says in, in our translations that God repented of this and God repented of that. What does that mean? Does that mean God's confused? No, it does not. It's, it's a point of commune. It's a point of discussion because the vengeance of the heart of God is saying this has to be, but look at that. This, these people that I trusted, Saul, for instance, I repent of putting him as king. Well, God didn't make a mistake, but Saul went sideways. Saul began to stop seeking God and start seeking other influences. And God said, there's going to have to be a change here. Even Samuel mourned that Saul was gone astray. And God said, look, you've got to stop mourning over him. I know you love him. I know you anointed him as the first king. He was my choice. But my purpose goes on. There's room for him to repent. But I, I cannot let things go on the way they are. So you have this continual thing of God's vengeance or God's ultimate burning desire 
to cause things to to be what he intends them to be. And in, in conjunction with that, you have this necham, this, this idea of communing about what should be done, which is a better way of saying repentance in that context. But who you repent, who's comforting here? All those that mourn. <laughs> Boy, that's a term that we get sideways on too because we think of somebody that's just walking around behind a casket and they're mourning. They're just got the, got the sad face going. And we've all been in that kind of condition where things have happened and they just crushed us and we don't know what to do. However, that's, let's look at what mourn really means here. Do you know that when you look at the, the, the initial term that mourn comes from, abal, it means to become dried up and to become destitute because you're dried up. So it's not necessarily the fact that somebody's lost someone or lost something. It's the effect of that on them to where they dry up, where they cut themselves off, where they allow themselves to begin to be withered because they lose hope and they lose uh, whatever point of uh, ambition and desire they have, and that then ultimately dries them up. That's the essence of what mourning is. In fact, if you look, how many times in Isaiah 61 is mourning talked about over and over and over again? And the, and the essence of it is God's got a plan. He's looking for a partner. Part of that plan out here is dried up for whatever reason. And God wants to bring a, uh, an invigoration to that so that the dry place becomes fruitful again. And that's the heart of wilderness. The voice of one crying in the wilderness to, to see that desert place then become fruitful again. See, that's the essence of mourning in Scripture. And, and so if you're comforting them that mourn, it's God looking at the places that have been dried up as that vengeance of his heart is saying, I want this to be the way it should be, and I'm counseling with you about the dried up place. That dried up place begins with you because you can't give what you don't have. You can talk all day long to people about what they should do, but if you're not doing it, how are they going to listen to you? And so we've got to look at our life and say, Father, is there anything that's in me that you want to do that maybe is not alive? <laughs> is, there, is there some place where I once believed and it's dried up? And I, I need to have that resuscitated. I need those life springs coming again. Um, is, and, and so we've got to begin there. But then as we're praying and we're in that place with God, we've said, you have a plan. I want to be the razor's edge of this. I want to be your son, your prince here. And, and I want to do it in your timing. I don't want to miss the year of the Lord. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to say, oh, last year was, was it. Uh, boy, I should have invested then. I want to be in here now partnering with you. I don't want to be like those that wait and then they miss the moment. That's a terrible thing. And then you're full of woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know? But you come before God, and you feel this burning within his heart. You feel that, that 
wonderful desire that's God's. And he begins to talk to you about the dried places. He begins to talk to you about the things that he wants to see spring to life again. And as I mentioned, Isaiah 63 speaks about that, that vengeance is in the heart of the Redeemer. And it's, it's really God's plan. People can get worked up about lots of different things. But when you come upon God's plan, when you come upon the thing that's burning within him, brother, you, you are in a partnership that cannot be defeated. And that's what we've got to have. That's what we've got to come upon. So the, to, the, to proclaim the acceptable year of God's plan, the day of the vengeance that's within the heart of God, and to comfort all those that are either enduring a dried place or are being encountered by God to be the messenger to that dried place, to see it come to life again. And I, I think that's, that's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. So that's how we become partners. We become freed, and then we become partner. We become partner because we recognize that we have the privilege of partnering with God's plan. We have the privilege of knowing what's in his heart. We have the privilege of being those that are, are in that council place as an intercessor to hear and to feel what God is saying. And we have the privilege of, of knowing God's going to restore this. God's going to restore this thing. I'm going to believe for the flow to be what God wants it to be. So that's the heart of becoming a partner. Then we got to be empowered. We've got to be refitted. And this is, this is a beautiful sequence of things that God does for someone who's freed and for somebody who's spending time with him and he's getting ready to send you out as a representative. You've, you've been in the, in the furnace of his heart and you've seen these things and felt these things and, and come into agreement with him. And now he says, all right, I'm going to send you forth. Let's look what this is. First of all, verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn. There's mourn again in Zion. To appoint. This is sum. And we've taught on this many years ago in the New Testament when Paul writes about kami. It Those are the same terms. And it means you have an appointed, an appointed place. You have an appointed measure of authority. And you need to trust that. If God's put you there, you need to trust that he's with you there. And you need to trust that when you're hearing from him, it's going to be what he says it will be. And, and you don't need to, you know, James warned us about being blown about by every wind of doctrine. You know, some people are like that. One day, man, I'm committed to this. And then two weeks later, they're committed to this over here. And then they're committed to this over here. Nobody can win that way. No, nobody can. You, you just, you're just going to fail. It's a prescription for failure. When you find what you're supposed to be, be that. When you find what God has said you're called to do, do that. And especially if you know you are partnering with God to see the world changed, trust that moment. Man, oh man, there's no, there's no place like that. There's no foundation like that anywhere. It's incredible. And, and so I'm appointed to be somebody that brings life flow 
to Zion. Remember what Zion is? It's not just a place over in Israel. You look at that word meaning, and it's a dry place. That's what it means. Zion means a dry and twisted place. That's what that word means. Look it up in any lexicon you want. And that's why all those promises about Zion through the Scripture, yes, they have a relative application to Israel. But in a broader sense, for the Gentile church who's going to the ends of the earth by the directive of the Lord, and that's what the tabernacle of David is, the Bible says that, we need to find this is a place God's chosen. It's a Zion place. This is a Zion place. That's a Zion place. And I'm called to this one to partner with God to see that dry place open up. What a beautiful connection. Mourn in Zion. When we understand what mourn means. Wow. Wow. I love that. I, I, I just love that. So the first thing in becoming empowered is to know, okay, yeah, I'm free. Yeah, God has called me. But he's put me in this place. And I'm going to be faithful in this place. I'm going to see what he's going to do because I'm appointed to it. To give them beauty for ashes. This is kind of a unique thing because beauty here, you can just look this up again, is, is, it has, has to do with the head. It has to do with a headdress. It has to do with an authority that God puts upon you as you're serving on behalf of his headship. And that beauty, that, that appointed promotion is going to deal with ashes. What is that? Well, this is kind of a cool thing. It's an expanded thing. And the first thing we need to begin with is not necessarily destruction, but possibility. Because you've got to remember that we were created from the dust, and that's another translation of this word. You can become anything if you let the Spirit of God move through you. You see, when you're dust, it doesn't mean you're a clump of dirt. It doesn't mean you're a clog. It doesn't mean even that you're, you're soil. It's dust. And we become as dust. We were created to be that so we can move in the wind of the Spirit, so that we can move in the Spirit of God. And, and I think that's, that's interesting because that, that authority that God gives on the head is, first of all, for us to be able to move in the dust as he created us to be, <laughs> to, to be able to be carried about by the Spirit. Man, Adam was created from the dust. And, and that's what our heritage is. But the other aspect of this is that sometimes things, either through destruction or through um, a lack of development, is as ashes. And the authority God gives us is to be able to, to recognize, first of all, our capacity to move in his spirit, but secondly, that no matter what we look at, God is able to turn that into something amazing. <laughs> that's, that's an incredible thing. That's why so many times the prophets, when they would get a word from God, and it would seem like an impossibility, they'd sit and they'd put ashes on their head. You read, it's a, it's a weird thing, but it's a prophetic picture. 
And it's not that they're saying, oh, all is lost, woe is me. But it's saying, look, <laughs> I'm a representative here, a prophetic representative believing that things aren't going to be the way they look for, a, for very long. God's going to turn this thing. God's going to make something that looks like nothing into something amazing, and I've been anointed and appointed to see that happen. See the beauty of, of this progression of what Isaiah says. And then you've got the oil of joy in page 2 for mourning. There's mourning again. The oil of joy. You're pressed by God to see his will be done. You remember when we studied about joy in the Old Testament, how that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of fulfilling what God's plan is, is, is a strength for us. It's like Popeye's can of spinach. You know, you, you know God, the Lord, has called you to do something, and you go and you, you do it. And that strength of God comes upon you because the joy is fulfilling the will of God. That's how Jesus, for the joy set before him in fulfilling what God had commissioned him to do at the cross, carried him through triumphantly. You see, one of the first issuances of this was in Gideon's life when his father had all those idols and those shrines set up on his property to worship demons. And Gideon got the strength of the Lord. He went and destroyed those things. And it speaks about the joy of the Lord. You see, God, God's greatest strength that can ever be known in you is when you say, Father, I will do what you are asking me to do, and I'm going to believe for uh, this, this promise that you've given to be done, and I'm going to go after it trusting in your strength. And that is the oil of joy for all those dry places, for, for even a place where people have a memorial to dry places. Because I mentioned this earlier in, here in verse 3, uh, the, word, the, the root word for mourn has now become a, a memorial, and that's what's in verse 3 there, a memorial to the dry place. Even in that place, where it seems not only dry, but people are commemorating the dryness, God can give you something to do that will bring victory, the oil of joy for mourning. Oil there, saison, is oil for the dry place. It's, it's that pressing for the season. It's that pressing for what you need in that moment. And we're going to know that over and over again. We have known that. But we're going to know it more and more in the days to come. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We need to cover ourselves in knowing what God has shown about what he wants to do. And that needs to be our praise because praise always goes forward. Praise taps into what God's promised, and you speak that forward, you sing that forward, you dance that forward, and that should be what covers you. It should be, yes, I'm going to stand here, but I'm going to be firing on all cylinders to say this is what God's going to do. I cover myself. When people see me, it's going to be a praise for what he's, 
what he is, what he's established in me to believe for, and I'm I'm going to that's going to be my weaponry. That that's going to be what I'm covered in, as opposed to the spirit of heaviness. This is what God was really impressing on me yesterday, because heaviness here is um, is is really an opposition. It it can come from two different. It can come in two different ways, and I've listed them. This is direct from Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament. Physical weakness. The root usually expresses physical weakening. It can affect the entire body. It can affect the eyes, the eyesight. It can be a visible manifestation of a skin disease. This meaning can be applied to any physical object, such as spots on clothing, or the wick of a lamp. That, let's, let's think on that before we move on to the second manifestation of this. The spirit of heaviness or the atmosphere, this, this isn't necessarily a demon. This, this can be any kind of spiritual manifestation. In fact, so many times we don't, the enemy doesn't need demons around. If our spirit within just shuts down, that work is done. And, and you find a lot of situations in, in spiritual warfare and counseling where it has nothing to do with a demonic presence. It just has the, 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 the issue that the person themselves has given up. And there's a spirit of heaviness where they don't see anymore. They, they're not seeing clearly. They're not perceiving clearly. Or perhaps weakness comes against them, and they just, they just give up. And they say, oh, I'm not... I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna do it anymore. I, I'm just gonna sit here and wait till I die, and and it it can become a spirit that permeates who they are, and the spirit that God gave them in life is just basically shut off and shut down by their by their own volition. And I wonder about what what the Paul writes about, or or the New Testament writes about people being spots on your feasts of agape. Where have you ever been around somebody that it's just a, a naysayer, and um, nobody in this room? So I'm not looking at anybody, and pretend I'm just looking around. Um, but I've been around people. It's like I remember one time visiting somebody in the hospital, and many many years ago, and this person was really grappling for their very existence. And we had prayed together for like 10 or 15 minutes, and then a host of people came in the room, including one woman who was just the epitome of, of unbelief. In fact, it's almost like she did not just not believe. She relished death. <laughs> I've never met very many people like that, but when you do, let me tell you, you know it. And you think, you have just given yourself over to be an agent of despair. And I, I'm standing there as the pastor with this dear lady who was in the in the hospital bed, who was one of our parishioners. And I thought, for all the world, I want to get this 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 woman just entered. I want to get her out of here. It reminds me of what happened in, when Jesus said, "Okay, put all the mourners out of the room. I don't want them in here." And even Peter did that. Get them out of here. And um, so you you got to first of all recognize that there. There is a real way that spiritual uh, challenges can affect you physically, and you've got to notice those. Now, sometimes, it, uh, this isn't a health and healing seminar, 
But sometimes people are physically in challenging uh, circumstances because they made wrong decisions. Maybe they're hepped up on some kind of drug or some kind of too much caffeine or not enough of this or not enough of that, and they just didn't keep themselves in good shape, and they're just kind of a blob in life, you know? And that's a different scenario that needs to be addressed, but it's a different scenario indeed. This is talking about a spirit. What you're doing with your spirit or what you're doing in partnering with some other kind of spiritual influence, and it can, there can be a situation where people just enter into a point where that spirit of heaviness, they're, they're not willing to see. Maybe they're unwilling to see. Maybe they've given themselves over to a depiction of defeat, and that permeates into every part of their body emanating from their spirit. You know, I'm, re- I'm reminded of Isaiah 42 there. I, I emboldened that. And um, the Scripture in the New Testament quotes this, where it speaks about a bruised reed will he not crush, a, a, a smoldering wick will he not quench. The bruised reed is that, that, that reed is the jealousy of the Lord. It's the same word. It's you being a conduit of what God wants. And sometimes you're going to get, when you're standing, I don't want to say sometimes, usually, if you're standing for the Lord and you're believing that his flow is going to come through you, you're going to face opposition. So to think that opposition is coming as some kind of a, of a, a sign that you're not supposed to be serving the Lord is not always true. <laughs> I mean, if you're serving the Lord, you're going to face opposition. And, and if, you, if, you, uh, if, if you recognize that and you stand firm, you will overcome. But then a quenched wick. God's not going to cause that part of your spirit to burn out. If you choose to let it burn out, like the five foolish virgins, well, then the Lord can be coming and you're, you're going to be out of whack. And we don't want that. I know I'm covering a lot of territory here. I'm just trying to go through this and, and to see what is God saying. So the spirit of heaviness, first of all, for anybody in this room or anybody that's watching this over the miles, is there some part in you where you've given up? Is there something where you've embraced and it's just, it's just anti to what God has really called you to do? You're going to, I mean, you could believe, well, I need somebody to come and break this off. That can be helpful, but I can break things off you all day long unless you're willing to say, look, I'm not serving this, this defeat anymore. I'm getting rid of it. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm not going to give over the spirit of heaviness. I'm going to look forward to what God's going to do, and that's going to be what I'm proclaiming. That's going to be what I'm declaring. That's going to be my praise. Praise waits for you in Zion, the Bible says. Praise waits for you in that dry place. Will you embrace what God wants to do as a bringer of life? And will you begin to speak that? Will you become an emissary of that? Will you praise? Will you praise in that? That will defeat this spirit of heaviness. In fact, I think the spirit of heaviness is the antithesis of that kind of thing. Well, what's the other factor? psychological weakness. Again, I just quoted this for you, cut and pasted it. But let's talk about what this means. 
In addition, these two variations of heaviness can denote a psychological weakness. And this can be seen in combination with the, with the, the noun, which is the spirit. And um, people can deal with this physically, but they can just let this become their persona. And, and we've got we've to say no more. <laughs> what, what will you believe? What do you believe? <laughs> Who has believed our report? To that person, the arm of the Lord will be revealed. But if you believe, according to your faith be it unto you, if you believe that you're done for and that you'll never have life again and you'll never accomplish anything, brother, that's what you're going to have. So you've got to determine God's created me for a reason. He set me free. I'm accepting his purpose. I am going to present myself before God to feel what the burden of the Lord is, and God's going to give me a, an authority, and he's going to give me a praise, and he's going to cause me to recognize from my point of assigned duty that God's going to do something incredible. And it's up to you whether you're going to believe the spirit of heaviness and shut off your vision, and shut off your strength, or whether you're going to praise and see God's victory come. Very interesting. Very interesting. But this is a choice. This is a choice for you. And I, like, I, I like all of this. Um, but look at this next part. I almost wrote becoming trees, and I'll tell you why. Because it says, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. What is, first of all, called? Remember, this is our old friend Kara, Q-A-R-A. And it, it's, that, it's that Old Testament theme. Uh, this is a term that's also translated as the partridge, which really communicates that God gave us a nest that wasn't ours. He planted us in something that is according to his will, and he took us out of what we would have been doing in the natural, in our own ways, and said, will you stand with me and take responsibility for this? So the calling of the Lord is very often, usually, it's something that, that you wouldn't have thought would be your calling, but God called you, and you said, okay, I will go. Here am I. Send me, Isaiah 6 says. You know, when I was growing up, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I had no idea that I would be in Texas for 40 however years <laughs> so far. I had no idea. But God opened the door, and I said, yes, Lord, I'll go. And, and even when we were here working together, so many of you, when this church was far different many, many years ago, when we were just a general church, God, we were, we were really blessed in, in numbers and in lots of different points of ministry. And God said, will you do this? And we said, well, I wasn't trained for that, even though I was trained for it, didn't realize it. This is your story too. How many of you, God said, you know, I got something I want to partner with you in. Will you be willing to do it? Well, it's different from where I am right now. It's different from what I've done. But yes, Lord, I'll do it. And we accepted that as the partridge, that nest. 
The real miracles of God come when God says, I'm, gonna, I'm asking you to join me in this thing. Will you do it? And you say, yes, Lord. You're called. Those are the callings. I mean, think of Jesus. I mean, what's the Scripture say? He, was, he is God. In no way was it wrong for him to consider himself God. But yet, he accepted a lower place to fulfill the will of the Father, showing us that pattern of sonship. And he said, I will serve the will of my Father here. What a glorious thing. Jesus could have just been God, stayed in heaven, and enjoyed all the things that he'd created. But he said, I will go. The vengeance of the Lord searched and found no one who would do it. And he said, I myself will go. So send I you. Called. Called what? Trees of righteous vision. Righteous vision. That's what righteousness is. It's gaining that vision from the Lord. That's the root of it. Monica talked about it in Sunday school today. It's a wonderful flow. You can study that for yourself. But righteousness is gaining the vision from God and following it. What is this business of trees? Again, so colorful. Because it can mean, this ayil, it can mean a mighty tree. It can mean a pillar. It can mean the porch of the temple. It can mean a ram. That word Yes, when it's planted by the waters whose roots don't dry up. Yes, it's a tree. But in so many other ways, this word can simply be a mighty point of leadership, a mighty point of representation in that vision, a mighty one to lead others, a mighty one to welcome the glory of God as a pillar in the temple. You're a tree of righteousness planted by the plan of God to show His glory. Man, that is a great verse, isn't it? That is a great verse. And this is what God has called you to do and to be. He wants you to be one who will take a stand and say, I'm going to stand here because God has called me. He's commissioned me. He's anointed me. I'm praising him for what he's going to do. We're going to see this dry place, all these mourning places, resuscitated by the, the, the vitality of God. Yes, I will be as a tree here. I will be as a pillar. I will be as one who steps out from the herd and is not just a lemming or a sheep as, as much as we all can be, but I'm going to be a ram in the midst of this flock who says, yes, I'm following my great shepherd, but follow me as I follow Christ. See, you can look this up. That word is used for all those, in all those ways in the, in the Old Testament. And this is a culminative point. So we're becoming one who has been freed, who has been called and commissioned at the throne of God by his heart in commune with him. We've been equipped and empowered, but now we're going to become in the field of battle. And then look what happens when you do that. Verse 6 through 8. 
They shall build up the old waste. They will raise up the former desolations. They will repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will come alongside and stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. You will be called, you will be named the priests, those who represent the plan of God, Yahweh. And men, the mature ones, will say, you are representing Elohim. You are representing the heart of God. That is a wonderful thing. Name the priest of God's plan and called those that are ministers in his heart. Wow. Of all the things we've read here, that's the thing I want. How about you? Because that's the most important thing. It's not about the power. It's not about the, the plan, even though that's important. It's about that relationship. When we say, you know, you look at me, I hope that I can personify standing on behalf of the plan of God. And I hope that in that you can look and say, his heart, man, he's after God's heart. She's after God's heart. You'll eat the riches of the Gentiles. In their glory, you'll boast yourselves. For all the places of shame you've endured, you'll have the double. For confusion, they will rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in the, their land, they will possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment. What does that mean? Some people have taken that, and they just think it's just pointing the finger and saying, I'm telling you what you're doing wrong. That's not what this is saying. Yahweh, the plan of God, loves his purpose. Judgment is mishpat. It's the purpose of God. That plan that God shares with you, that plan that his vengeance is wanting to achieve, God loves this. Ahab, to breathe hard after it. And I hate the way things are perverted. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. This was Jesus' first sermon, although he read the first part of it. We don't know what all he said after he sat down. He did say, this day scripture's fulfilled in your ears. He was basically saying, I'm making it possible for you to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied. And if you will follow me and watch what I do, I'm going to teach you how to commune with the Father. I'm going to teach you how to hear from him and to go by what he shows, by his eyes. What I see my Father do, those eyes of righteousness, I'm going to do that. But I think for us today, as we come before this table of communion, we've got a lot to consider here in this passage. But... This table of grace, I think we should come before the Father and commit ourselves, yes, but we should say, is there any way that I've allowed spirit of heaviness to corrupt me? Have I given up? Have I stopped seeing what the eyes of faith are showing me? Am I focused on other things and that's detracted me and distracted me? Am I really seeing through your eyes and those eyes of righteousness? Have I allowed something in my physical realm to hold me back? Have I allowed something to corrupt 
my spiritual commune with you, that spirit of heaviness, has it permeated what you really created me to be, that you caused me to be born again, to live in? Have I, have I let that happen? And God's not here to beat you up today. He's here to, to resuscitate you. But part of it is, if you will, he will. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If, if uh, you know, what, what John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase. Am I willing to let those other things go away so that the increase of the Lord can come, so that I can be that voice of one crying in the wilderness? I don't want the spirit of heaviness to corrupt me. I don't want to be weaked and wearied. I don't, I don't want to have anything that's encumbering me from being what God wants me to be. I want to be donned with that garment of praise, which is indicating all these other things that God has said about me. That was Jesus' first sermon. You think, ever wonder about that? Of all the sermons Jesus could have preached first, what in the divine mind would be that sermon? He takes this scroll and he reads it. This is our message as sons. And so we come to the table of of the one who we celebrate, who took that scripture and read it. And he's reading it to us today. And he's saying all the things that we looked at, but he's also saying specifically, Is there any part of your life that has been given over to a spirit of heaviness? Spirit of despair, spirit of not seeing, not believing. Is there any area in your physical life where you think, okay, that's just it, I can't serve him. It's just holding me back and there's nothing I can do about it. Don't believe those lies. Live as long as you're alive. Move in the power of the Lord. And I think that when we take this bread that represents what we are to be as is the body of Christ, where we're not going off yesterday's leaven, those things that brought us victory before, those things that caused the bread to rise up, we don't want any of that leaven. We want a new rising today. We want the rising of the Spirit. As we take this bread, we say, Father, I commit myself to that calling, to that placement, to that anointing. I commit myself. We all need to do that. Not in a despairing way, but in a confident way in this table of grace. And then we should say, Lord, let your blood be upon me. Yes, this is a table of believers. So we should all be born again if we're at this table. The blood at this table is the blood of sprinkling. The Bible speaks about that in the New and in the Old Testament. And that sprinkling wants to touch the places in your life that are needing the invigoration of the power of the blood. Those places in your life may be different than the places in Sandra's life or the places in Imani's life. But that sprinkling will touch the exact place you need the invigoration of that power of his blood. I need that. So do you. So, we're called to live what Isaiah 61 said, what Luke 4 says, 
And we need to recognize that of all the times that God caused us to live, it's during this crucial time, to me, the most important time in all of history, when all things seem to be coming together. The things the prophets spoke of, we see them. Things that even in my early years when I would read about the end times, I said, well, you know what, really, let's just be honest. That can't happen yet. There ain't no way that there's, there's the technology in place where people are going to take a mark on their head or in their right hand and control everything. Yeah, guess what? We're, we're at that place, and it's exponentially going further. So God chose this time for you and I to be living. That's, a, that's an honor. That's an incredible thing. Act like it. <laughs> You're not a mistake. You're not just biding the time. You're just not playing out the fourth quarter. This game's done. Let's look for the next one. This is a mighty time, and God wants us to look at this table of grace and say, all right, Lord, here am I. I see this. I want this in me. And if there's any spirit of heaviness, I want it out. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to subscribe to being blinded. I don't want to subscribe to being weakened. I don't want to subscribe to being inhibited and held back. I want to be able to mount up with wings as an eagle. And that's for all of us. And, you know, you can, I don't want to go too far with this because I'm basically done. I guess all preachers sometimes come to the end of their sermon and they don't know when to quit. (laughs) But I will say this, it's not just it's not just a personal thing. I, I really do think that there are enemy influences that are purposely trying to dissuade Christians from rising up and being what they're supposed to be. I feel that there are enemy, that, you know, the Bible says in Daniel that in the end time, the enemy will try to wear out the saints. And I do believe there is that influence that is trying to, to wear you out. Have you felt that? I have. And I think that it's, it's the enemy trying to influence the spirit of heaviness. We've got to recognize that too. If we sense that coming against us, we need to say, no, uh-uh. I, 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 this is a weightiness that I don't want. I want the weightiness of the glory of God, not of the spirit of this world. So whatever it is that may be coming against you, get rid of it and accept what God is wanting. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. I do believe this was a word for our network at this time. It's a a word for my life. It's a word for this body's life. And I pray that as we come before this table, you said you would be here, and, and I sent you here. And I pray that we will have a point of freedom and empowerment and inspiration as we partake of this communion. I speak your life and your strength over your people. And I thank you for the calling you've given us as saints. And I pray and I declare that we are going into this new season, this acceptable year of the Lord, and we will not fail you. We are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors through you. And we accept that mandate. I pray, Lord, that if 
as people come to this table, if there are any kind of physical restrictions that are coming against them that are not in any way of their dealing, whether it's physical physical illness or some kind of a financial oppression, we pray that that would be broken off through the power of your Spirit and that they would know the vitality of your provision. Let that be. And I thank you for it, Father. So bless your people as we partake today. And may we meet with you. And we thank you for this, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I invite you to come and receive. Find a place to spend time with the Lord. You can stay as long as you want. Let's find him today, okay? God bless you. Let's come.